Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast, your weekly mini masterclass designed to give you the tools to crush your fundraising goals with less stress. I'm your host, Kim Jennings, a veteran faith-based school frontline fundraiser and certified fundraising executive, a consultant, trainer, coach, and passionate ally for leaders and future leaders serving in Christian schools across the U.S. After nearly two decades in the industry, I'm here to bring you insightful conversations with great leaders and to share with you what I've learned and continue to learn from my failures and successes. If you're a Christian school leader looking for tested strategies to banish the tyranny of the urgent and to raise more money within a stronger, thriving team and grow your school's culture of generosity, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast. Hey folks, and welcome back to my podcast. Today, we're going to talk about campaign readiness. Here we are in this season of growth. Enrollment is up everywhere. Schools all over the place are asking for assistance on building campaigns, and it's a really exciting time. At this year's CESA Symposium, there was a session led by the head of school from Mount Perrin Christian School, Tim Weens, called Explosive Growth. And it was structured with a case study. And the discussion groups all talked about whether or not this boom that we're seeing is a blip or if it's here to stay. And it was interesting because the heads of school and the other leaders who were in the room overwhelmingly agreed with one another that this boom is here to stay. And when discussion groups were asked to rank the things that leaders should focus on if they were in this hypothetical but very realistic case study, there were several things that they could choose from, you know, focusing on the mission, vision, and values, focusing on faculty, staff, culture, or curriculum, or facilities development. And it was interesting because all of the discussion groups included facilities in their top three, which means that all of the leaders who were attending from what was probably 20 to 30 schools who were in that room at the time, they knew that a capital campaign would be eminent for this hypothetical school, that the enrollment boom was going to require more space. So I think we can extrapolate that for sure, buildings are on the horizon for dozens of schools across the country. And I think it's a little bit unnerving in some ways because we can't really see the future. Will the enrollment boom indeed continue to grow? Or will it plateau at the higher level of our enrollment? Or will it decline? We just really don't know. But we do know that God is sovereign and that in our current culture wars, that families are seeking a Christian education for their children in droves. And even if they're not necessarily seeking a Christian education, certainly there is an alignment of values. And so we will likely continue to see enrollment. So it's no surprise that Generis, the firm that I work with, we're getting calls all the time from Christian schools who are seeking counsel in this. And the questions that I personally get the most about this are, how do I know when to go to our lead prospects to ask them to commit? I'm asked, when should we go public to the rest of the school? I'm given this situation that we're at 50% of our goal and we've been stalled out for the past six or nine months. What do we do now? I've heard that our board is fully focused on the capital projects and don't really have much concern about our annual fund. You know, some or 
Many of them may not even be giving to it, but we do have to raise the annual fund during the capital campaign. So how do we balance that, the capital campaign with the annual fund? I've heard people say, you know, we're planning to announce the building campaign in three or so months at our spring gala. How do we plan for that? And then when I ask them how much they've currently raised toward their goal, they give me a figure that's like at maybe 10 or 20%. And I'm like, oh boy, that is a really big hill to climb in the next three months. So the questions that I ask them back when I'm trying to help them think about campaign readiness, these are a couple of the questions I I ask them back. So one is, do you have methodical, strategic, one-on-one donor interactions in your daily, weekly work? What is the state of your major gifts program? How many people do you have who are asking folks for gifts, you know, personally asking people for gifts? Do you have a solid understanding of your top 50, your top 75 donors and prospects? Or is the vast majority of your bandwidth as a development program spent on creating those mass appeals, working on letters, working on emails, creating videos, social media, and then you allocate your leftover time on the one-to-one work? So what does that look like? Another question I ask folks is, what is the health level of your annual fund? And how would you describe the level of the culture of generosity within your school community? I ask them, does your board champion your annual fund? Does your board have a personal interest and passion for the success of your fundraising? Is your board involved in the fundraising at all? Another question I ask is, in what ways do you thank and then steward your donors? These are just several of the questions that I ask folks to help them think through where they stand in readiness for a campaign. And if you were thinking about a campaign, consider how you yourself might answer those questions. For today's podcast, I want to briefly describe what I've experienced as critical factors for success in campaigns. And these are the factors that I see in schools everywhere and my colleagues at Generis also see. And the level of your success in these two things that I'm going to talk about will directly impact your campaign outcome. And there are several campaign readiness factors, but I want to dive into today the two things that I think are most critical. The first is robust donor relationships and an organizational commitment to personal donor interactions and then discipline to follow through on those donor plans. And the second factor is clear and strong alignment between your head and your board members. So those two items that I want to talk about are that commitment to donor relationships and then strong alignment for your leadership. So first, let's tackle donor relationships and what makes a strong major gifts program. What is your school's investment of time, bandwidth, and staffing in orientation to developing donor relationships? I actually hesitate to call it a major gifts program because, you know, quote unquote, major gifts is different everywhere. In some schools, a major gift might be $1,000. In some schools, it's like $50,000. It's different everywhere. And that's historically what I'm going to describe is considered a quote-unquote major gifts program. But what I want us to focus on is the orientation of your priorities toward one-to-one relationships. That's really what's important. The orientation of your priorities. And it's important for two things. One, this orientation teaches you the discipline and the hard work that's required for campaigns. I mean, because <laughs> don't kid yourself. I mean, raising money is hard. Every day is a really big challenge in development offices, for sure. 
but a campaign is crazy hard work. It is going to be truly transformative for your school and transformative for your work in fundraising. So don't kid yourself. It's a lot of hard work and being oriented to the discipline of one-to-one relationships will help you to be prepared for that hard work. I think if you can't be disciplined and patient and strategic right now in donor relationships, then how do you plan to do it when you're faced with raising 10 or 20 times more than what you have to raise right now? Plus, you have to raise the annual fund simultaneously. Plus, you have to run a school because remember that the requests for meetings, the discipline issues, the family dramas, all of that is not going to stop during a campaign. So you're faced with all of those things. So let's get ready for that now with our orientation toward one-to-one relationships. The second reason that being oriented toward relationships is important is because that posture actually results in raising way more money. I hear it from school leaders all the time saying, I just can't get the meetings in. And honestly, it's because the tyranny of the urgent and the super long to-do list that's related to communicating to the masses, those things always take over. So in order to be oriented to those one-on-one relationships, it's going to take really serious intentionality. I recommend reorienting your priorities to include more one-to-one work before you get to the campaign starting line. Because here's what happens when you don't. You'll need to raise your lead gifts for the campaign. Here you are, ready to go with the campaign. And you got to get those lead gifts in. So you go to the top 10 to 12 people that you've always gone to. You ask them for a gift, which you get or you don't. But then the next 25 people on the list, you've either met once or twice or maybe even never at all face-to-face. And maybe they've given $10,000 to your annual fund without you having asked them personally. Maybe they've given that gift in response to appeal letter or something. And so you've done your homework. You perceive and see that they perhaps could give you maybe 10 times that to the campaign. But it's going to take several face-to-face interactions to be ready to ask them for that $100,000 gift. But here's the thing, you need that money faster because they are your lead prospects. So now either you have to ask them before they're ready or you have to be more patient and you have to delay the public phase of your campaign. And in this situation, I mean, it's no wonder folks feel squeamish about going to them to ask them for that huge gift because there's no prior relationship there. And of course that's awkward. And frankly, it's really awkward for the prospect as well. And in some cases, it could even actually be offensive. You could either go ahead and ask them now because you need that money now. They're here in this early phase. You need those lead gifts. But the chances of getting that $100,000 gift are significantly lower than if you had had a prior relationship with them. Now, have I, have we, my, my colleagues, all of us at Generis coached leaders through this exact scenario? Yes, <laughs> Yes, we totally have all the time, actually, because if I had to generalize, I would say that very few schools, even those that raise a lot of dollars, really actually have solid, actualized internal commitment to -to one-to-one donor relationships. Families to these schools are incredibly generous. They're amazing. And oftentimes, some of those gifts are without a lot of cultivation, but That doesn't mean that that's sustainable, and it certainly does not mean that we should continue down that path. Our donors are not ATMs. They're not Santa Claus. So how do we prevent getting ourselves into this awkward position that I've just described where we need the money quick, but we actually don't have relationships, and so we can't really ask them or they're not ready and so forth? 
So here's what we can do. Get your top 25 or top 50 list of donors together, even for your annual fund, get those lists together now before the campaign is even in sight. With that list, create personalized strategies for each of those prospects. And in that strategy, include deciding the identity or the identities of the best person or people to cultivate that relationship. Now, that could be you as the director of development. It could be you as the head of school. It could be a board member. You have to decide. I recommend not taking the approach of like everybody who gives 10000 is automatically in the portfolio of the head of school. I don't think that's necessarily going to be an appropriate step in every case. It may end up being what happens, but I recommend being more strategic. For example, if one of those $10,000 donors works in the same industry as a board member who is willing and able to actively solicit, then maybe that couple should be assigned to the head and the board member or to the director of development and the board member. Taking a team approach is a fantastic way of cultivating and then ultimately asking and stewarding those prospects and donors. If you are a development leader and if you audit your time and you see that 80% or more of your time is spent in mass communications, appeals, emails, and events, certainly that is a huge one. If 80% or more of your time is doing that, then you are not leaving enough time for those major gift conversations. Those relationships take time, many months, maybe even years, and they are also the relationships and the gifts that move that needle, not the massive number of gifts, 90% of your gifts that come from the broader spectrum across your community. So if you are spending 80% or more of your time focusing on those 90% of folks who are giving the smaller gifts and not enough time with the 10% of donors who can move the needle, the 10% of donors who are giving 90% of your funding, then you've got a problem. Now, I'm not saying don't focus at all on the broader community and that whole sense of shared purpose, all of that stuff, that annual giving piece that is especially, especially important to me. If you've been listening at all to my podcast or have read anything that I put out, you know that I'm saying that every gift matters. Um, Episodes two, three, and four talk about my philosophy of fundraising And episode three is specifically about my philosophy on community. I am saying every gift matters. I'm not saying focus all your time only on that 10% of the folks who are giving 90% of the money. But unfortunately, what we tend to see in schools is this flip-flop. We're spending the majority of our time with the people who aren't making the needle move enough. So in short, the schools that I see who hit their campaign goals and then also go on into the future with a strong, sustainable culture of generosity are those that are committed to donor relationships, especially through strategically designed one-to-one donor work, invested time and bandwidth, and a staff that owns the process and remains disciplined and working those plans. The good news is if you don't have that strong donor relationship orientation yet, it can be developed. You can get it. If you're already in the campaign planning process and don't have it, you can still work on it and the progress that you make, the investment of your time and bandwidth will still pay off and you'll still have more success than you would have without having made any changes at all. But 
If you're not in a campaign planning process, if you're not in a campaign, then let's take this time now. Let's be methodical and diligent in working with our folks as people and in building authentic relationships with our donors. This episode is sponsored by my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity. I created this course especially for directors of development and school leaders who are looking to create a sustainable pipeline of generous givers in their school. I created it after person after person talked to me about how they wanted a culture of generosity, but weren't really sure how to get it. And so I created this course based on the methods that I used and continue to use with my clients that will help you, in fact, create that sustainable pipeline of solid, generous givers year after year to your school. The methods that I teach in this course will work in any school environment, in every size school, because they're based on human behavior and community. Learn more and sign up for my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity at kimtjennings.com slash cultureofgenerosity. We've discussed donor relationships and a major gifts program as that first success factor. The second factor I want to talk about is clear and strong alignment between the head of school and the board. First, let's be super clear. While the board may not necessarily actively raise all the money for the campaign, and few school boards actually do, they must own the success of the campaign. The campaign is under their tenure and under their leadership. So whatever the outcome, if this campaign succeeds or if it fails, it's on their tenure. So they must take an active role in setting the campaign up for success. And the board cannot abdicate their responsibility for this. They cannot lay it on the head of school or the director of development or the development team to pull off a capital campaign on their own. Too often, I see a board comes up with a great plan and we're going to build this building. Oh, you go raise the money. That also will not work. So how do we foster that sense of responsibility and that ownership on the board? How does that happen and what does it look like? First, does everyone on the board really know their role? Do they know what a board member should do and are they ready to do it? Have they been given those clear expectations? Have they been trained? Have they been set up to succeed as a board member and collectively as a board? Do they know their role as partners to the head of school? And does the head of school know their role in partnership to the board? As partners, the board members and the head of school need as much alignment as possible to move forward in fulfilling the school's mission and vision. Because the higher the level of alignment, the higher the chances of success in fundraising, all fundraising, including the annual fund, not just the capital campaign, but it's even more important in a capital campaign because the success or failure is so public. If the group is not aligned, if your board members are not engaged with the concept of fundraising, if they don't seem to value it other than receiving that periodic report, if they're making a gift or maybe even sometimes not, I do hear that too, If your board members are feeling like the fundraising is the development person's job, or maybe the head plus the development person's job alone, then you have a serious issue as you are approaching a campaign. 
if they're excited about a building project and haven't taken time to understand how the money comes into your school usually, how the money typically works in a capital campaign scenario, then you also have a serious issue. If our board and our head is not as aligned as they could be, then what do we do? How can we prepare for a campaign now and be therefore in the best possible shape before we need to raise those millions or tens of millions of dollars? I would say invest now in board training. And while I would highly recommend outside counsel for this, at the very least, you can at least begin with reading some books together and working out for yourselves as a team what's missing. And I'll link in the show notes a few books that you might find helpful. Your board meetings can't be all current business and reports and votes and then good night. You need to set time aside intentionally to work on your governance health. And that's going to take intentionality and it's going to take leadership from your board chair and the head of school to do so. Coaching for a board retreat can be extremely helpful and it will really go far, but frankly, even ongoing coaching, ongoing discussions will help you make progress toward that stronger governance and stronger health. And it's helpful for you to know before you jump into that, what exactly is misaligned. In order to help you with this, I created a free, totally free, very, very simple assessment tool that helps heads of schools and board members to assess their own personal understanding of their work and also their alignment as a group with one another in that work. And I'll link, of course, to this free assessment in my show notes. It literally takes three minutes to take. It has 14 very simple questions in four categories. Those are strategy, partnership, engagement, and mission and vision. And how this assessment works is that the school's head takes the assessment first, receives her or his personal score on each of these four categories, and then the assessment sends a link out to each board member individually who takes the assessment themselves, and they also receive their own personal score. But here's the thing. The head of school also receives those scores within the dashboard that they have. So the head can see where each person is feeling in sync or not in sync within those categories, even down to specific questions, whether they agreed or disagreed or strongly agreed or strongly disagreed. And also in the dashboard, the head of school can see the collective overall scores within each category. So for example, you might find that your group as a whole is 90% all synced up about mission and vision but you might find they're in the 60s about engagement. Well, that's going to give you as a full team the data you need to more effectively approach getting better aligned, even down to the questions that are within the engagement. You can see where you're missing one another. So now you can have a group conversation. You go over those engagement questions and discuss what's missing, discuss what needs clarification, and decide on what actions you might want to take as a group to get better engaged. And also, because the head has the access to those personal scores as well, you as the head of school or you and the board chair are equipped for better conversations and board development planning with each individual person as well. You would have one-on-one conversations, not in a group, of course, but one-on-one conversations. For example, one of the actual questions in this assessment is this one. Here we go. Our board members and head of school 
work effectively together outside of board meetings. Their partnership is more than holding board meetings focused on reporting with little meaningful activity in between. So everyone's going to answer that on the five-point scale from highly agree to highly disagree. You might find some board members strongly agree and others strongly disagree. You as the head of school and hopefully in partnership with that board chair can now sit down with the folks who disagree and better understand where they need help or what they might need training in or what they need clarification on. It allows you to get in alignment with each person and as a group to get in full alignment. The assessment is designed to diagnose where you're misaligned and it's designed to equip you with the knowledge that you need to have those strategic conversations to get aligned. And then you can be truly campaign ready. Then your board can be really ready to embrace their ownership of the campaign's success. Just having a few wealthy people on your board does not guarantee a campaign success unless, of of course, you're only measuring success by reaching goal and those folks on the board reach that goal without anyone else. But I would argue that campaign success should be measured not just by the dollar goal, and I know that I'm not alone in this. I think that campaign success is also measured by the kind of culture that you have during and after the campaign. How transformed is your community? Is it closer to one another? Are folks more generous with their treasure and their time? Is your school thriving in every sense of the word? If you raise the money, but your culture isn't truly thriving, then you've totally missed out on this really important time. You've missed out on this extremely important and unique opportunity. If you're in a Christian school, a campaign is the chance for every giver to be a part of investing their God-given resources of time and talent and treasure into God's work, coming together with that sense of shared purpose as Christians in helping to manifest this vision given to us by God. So that's a really important and transformative time, and we want to make sure that we are taking that chance to build our community. Often families in our schools will only experience one or maybe two campaigns in the life of this school. It's true of board members too. They may preside over two campaigns at the most if if their tenure is a really long one. So we want our campaign to be a resounding success in all the ways, not just raising all of the money, but also having a thriving community that's learned how to come together as God's people. So don't leave out the first most important step to your campaign. Don't leap ahead, plan well. Benjamin Franklin famously said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So campaign readiness There's a lot of things you could do, but I think that these two factors are perhaps the most foundational for your success for your campaign. One, commit yourself to nurturing donor relationships. Dedicate your time and energy to those one-on-one donor meetings and donor relationships. Be methodical, strategic, disciplined, intentional about this. And secondly, Get your board members and your head of school fully aligned in strategy, partnership, engagement, and mission and vision now. Find out what you're missing as a group. Get aligned now, collaboratively working together as a team so that you can leave a legacy 
truly leave a legacy and transform your school for generations to come. If you, my friends, just spend a little bit of time, 1% improvement, if you could just focus on 1% of improvement per month in these two areas, then in one year, obviously, you'll have 12% improvement, and that's huge. Don't minimize the great work that can happen in small increments. You can do this. I am totally cheering you on. I know you can do it. And if you want to talk about what you've heard today, anything that I've talked about, any aspects at all of a capital campaign or campaign readiness, of course, I welcome you to reach out, use the contact info that's in the show notes. I would love to be your guide right there in the boat with you along every single mile of this journey in this transformative, incredible experience that your school is going to have. I've also linked in the show notes, remember those board resources and the link to my free leadership alignment assessment, which by the way, can be done in real time at a board meeting. It takes just three minutes for each person to fill it all in. And since it's online, it can all happen in real time. So if you want to sit down at a board meeting and do it right then and look at the results as a group right then, you can totally do this. If you have any questions about this assessment, of course, feel free to reach out. I'd love to walk you through how it can help you to identify the things that you need to work on as a board collaboratively to get the alignment that you need. I can't wait to hear how you have been preparing for your campaign. I can't wait to hear about the success, all the amazing things that you're doing at your school. So please make sure to stay in touch as you are preparing for and launching your campaigns. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hey there, friends. If you have been enjoying my podcast, please, could you do me a huge favor that I would so greatly appreciate? I need your rating and your reviews. There are tons of folks out there who are serving Christian schools just like you, and they're looking for resources. They're looking for coaching. They're looking for encouragement, and they can't find me without some help to show them the way. Your rating and reviews help them find me, and I would be so grateful if you could just take a minute and rate and review. Let me know how my podcast has helped you or what's an idea that you have found useful or insightful. Is there a way that you were personally encouraged by an episode? I would love to hear all those things. Thanks so much in advance for helping me out, for rating and reviewing my podcast. I would be so grateful for that. I appreciate you.